to all of you mothers. I have a Japanese friend visiting with us today, so I will say ohayo gozaimasu, haha no hi o medito. Got that out of the way. All the Japanese you're going to hear for the rest of this morning. A story is told of a mother who was badly disfigured. When her daughter went to school, the daughter was bullied because of the mother's scars. Often the daughter came home crying because the other students were teasing her, making fun of her. One day when the daughter was old enough, the mother explained what happened. The family was living in an apartment that had caught on fire. The daughter was only a baby. And to save her from the flames, the mother was badly burned and disfigured. From that day on, the daughter was no longer ashamed of her mother. In fact, every time she looked at her mother's scars, she saw how much she was loved. Today is Mother's Day. Our relationship with our mothers in large part is affected by how we have experienced their love for us. Mother's Day can be difficult for those of us whose mothers have already passed away. It can also be also be difficult for those who never experienced the loving, tender touch of a mother's care. For those of us whose mothers are still with us, today is a day that we honor them and shower them with our acts of appreciation, cards, gifts, visits. Some of you are visiting your moms here today. Some of you will call your moms later on this afternoon, or maybe your mom has graduated to FaceTime or Skype. And through modern technology, wherever she is in the world and wherever you are, you can talk to each other face to face. Love and appreciation, obligation and duty, shame, regret, maybe even hatred and indifference. These are all emotions that people experience on Mother's Day. And what we know, or what we think we know of our mother's care for us, influences what emotions we have. The same is true for Jesus. What we think we know of Jesus' love for us affects how we respond to him. And so we need to be reminded on a regular basis of Jesus' love for us. There, is a, there was a group of Christians that lived 2,000 years ago. And they were going through the process of deciding whether or not 
They wanted to continue in their relationship with Jesus. They had been Jews. And they were feeling a pull back into all of the festivals and sacrifices, the touch and feel aspects that they enjoyed in their religious system known as Judaism. They were also beginning to experience persecution from the secular government because of their identity with Jesus Christ. And so they were actually considering going back to their old way of their old religious system. And the author of the letter to the Hebrews, which is in our New Testament, wrote a compelling letter, a long letter, 13 chapters, encouraging them, actually telling them that there is no going back. There's nothing to go back to. You have everything in Jesus. From chapter 1 all the way through the book, he sets out how Jesus is superior to the old system. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses, their patriarch. He's superior to the whole sacrificial system. In fact, all of that and all of those people pointed forward to Jesus. He was the fulfillment of it all. No longer was there any more need for animal sacrifices because Jesus was the final, ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And so the author culminates his letter at the end of chapter 13, and we're going to look at that this morning. Hebrews chapter 13. The two main verses we're going to look at are verses 15 and 16, but we'll also look at verses 10 through 14 by way of context. These last two, or these two verses of Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16, encapsulate, they summarize, they are the climax of his entire letter. In fact, they're the climax and the summary of the whole Bible. Verses 15 and 16. And I can summarize these two verses with this one sentence. That if you remember nothing else from this morning, I hope you take this away. So if you're going to write something down, this is something good to write down. Jesus enables me to identify with him and be kind to others. Everywhere, all the time. I find that in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, which say this. Through Jesus, let us continue to offer sacrifices of praise to God, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices... God is pleased. Let's look at our main idea and break it down into uh, smaller parts. The author begins by saying, through Jesus, therefore. In other words, Jesus enables me. 
Why does he use the word therefore? Well, like I said, it's a summary of the whole book of Hebrews. But it also comes on the heels of verses 10 through 14, which go like this. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest brings the blood of animals into the most holy place for a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. The author begins in verses 10 and 11, talking about the biggest day on the whole Jewish calendar. We know it as the Day of Atonement. This was actually the day that Jesus died on the cross. And on the Day of Atonement, two goats would be brought as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. One goat had the sins of the people recited over it. And then that goat was let free to go off into the wilderness. It was known as the scapegoat. And the picture so beautifully depicted of our sins going out far away from us, never to be held against us again. The other goat was not so fortunate. This goat was sacrificed. And unlike all of the other animal sacrifices that could be eaten by the priests or even by the people, this goat was not. They took the blood of this goat and they sprinkled it in the most holy place in the tabernacle or later than in the temple. And they also sprinkled it on the altar out where the people were. But the body of the goat was taken outside of the camp when this was first initiated by Moses in the wilderness after the people had just escaped from Egypt. They were out in the wilderness and they set up camp and they took this goat and they put it out of the garbage dump outside the camp. Later when the city of Jerusalem was established as the capital, they took that goat and they put it outside the city of Jerusalem. Can you see how all of this is pointing towards Christ? Jesus, there it says, verse 12, he also suffered outside the city gates on a hill called Calvary. He did it in disgrace. Certainly there was much more to the crucifixion than simply the shame, but it was a shameful death that Jesus experienced for us. All of those other sacrifices of goat after goat after goat, year after year after year, only provided a temporary covering for the sins of the people. But it had to be repeated over and over and over again. But Jesus, he went outside the city and he died on the cross for your sins 
and for my sins. Paid the ultimate sacrifice of his own life's blood. Never to be repeated again. That's why the author of Hebrews was telling the people there's nothing to go back to. There are no more sacrifices. Jesus was the final sacrifice. He paid it all. All of the shame that he bore. He bore for you and he bore for me. And when we learn that, it's like the little girl in the story. Whatever shame may come as a result of being identified with Christ in this world is nothing compared to what Christ endured for us. And so the author says, let us then. Come on. Let's do this. Go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Why? Well, for the first reason that he's already said, he's He's made the final sacrifice for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. And that's looking back. But looking at the present, what do we have here? The author, the author says, here we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. Everything that we see around us, all that they were tempted to go back to in the touch and feel of their festivals and sacrifices and all of that is only temporary. It was temporary in the sense that it could never take away our sins permanently. It was always pointing forward to Christ. But also temporary in the sense that everything we have here in this world, we are to hold loosely. Nothing is permanent here. But we are looking for the city that is to come. The glorious city that will be ruled over by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, forever and ever and ever, without end. I was at a conference this last weekend in Cleveland. I did not watch the Cavaliers win their fourth game. I was listening to preaching, which was much more beneficial. And almost, if not more so, enjoyable. One of the speakers summarized eternity something like this. Using the clock of eternity, we are moments away from seeing Jesus Christ. Another way of saying that is life is short. Eternity is long. Live your life in light of eternity. My family went on a trip to Canada and Washington, D.C. and New York City and Boston one summer. I used to have a 10-month contract at the college I worked at. So one summer we went on a ministry trip for 10 weeks. And as we were getting on the airplane, at the beginning of that trip, I looked at my kids and I said to them, before you know it, this trip will be over and we'll be on our way home. Ten weeks went by. We're again on the airplane, ready to come home. 
both of my kids turn and look at me. They were probably 10 and 12 at the time. And they say, hey, Dad. Being the dumb dad I was, I said, what? What do you want? They're like, what do you want? Just tell me. They said, Dad, it's over. It's like, wow, you did better than me. <laughs> and we've all had experiences like that. Been looking forward to something for a long time, planning it. We go, enjoy, then it's done. That's your life. The older you get, I've been told, the faster it goes. I just turned 48 last Sunday, and it's going pretty fast. Can't imagine what it's going to be in another 100 years when I'm 148. <laughs> and so the author says, Jesus enables me. Through Jesus, because of what he's done for me, because of what he has promised me, now, there are two remaining sacrifices. Jesus has paid the ultimate blood sacrifice. There, there are no more blood sacrifices to be made. But the author of Hebrews says there are two sacrifices for those of us who follow Jesus Christ to make. And the first one is to identify with him. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer sacrifices of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Looking that, at that quickly, for the first time, or maybe our second time this morning, third time, counting Corb's reading of it, you're really getting this. We might initially think he's talking here about what we're doing right now. This time of corporate worship, where the church gathers together in a place to sing songs, to say prayers, and to do what you're so doing so well right now, listening attentively. Thank you. Give me a second here. I'm like Corb. I'm fighting a cold. But the author is talking about much more than what we're doing right now. Certainly, this is included. This is, or should be the highlight, one of the highlights of our week, to come together with our brothers and sisters and together offer praises to God. But what the author is actually saying is, this is the easy place to identify ourselves with Christ. It's when you leave these doors and you spend the rest of your week outside of this place. To use an idiom, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it gets real. That's where it gets hard. And to be honest, in this day and age, in, in this world that we live in, there have been so many Christians, those who have called themselves Christians, who have dragged Jesus' name through the mud. And it makes it hard to identify yourself as a follower of Christ. But we don't identify ourselves as Christ followers because of what others do. 
We identify ourselves as Christ followers because of what Christ has done. And what Christ needs is winsome, joyful people who represent him well. So that when the people out there look at you, they see, wow, there's something different. I wonder what that is. He calls himself a Christian. I've known other Christians that called themselves Christians. They weren't any different from me. But this guy, this lady, there's something different about him or her. I wonder what that is. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friends, we need people who joyfully, publicly identify themselves with Christ in a winsome, joyful way. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes this, Therefore, we are, you know what the next word is? Ambassadors for Christ. You don't get a choice about whether you're going to be an ambassador or not. I lived in Japan for nine years. Being six foot two, most Japanese people are about up to here. I mean, right, Yuki? I didn't have a choice whether I was going to be an ambassador for the United States of America or not. I walk out the door of my house, everyone is looking up to me, literally. And I lived in a very remote area of Japan. I was one of maybe a dozen Westerners in my whole city of 80,000 people. What they knew about America, they either learned from on TV or by watching me and the rest of us, rest of us that they met. So I was an ambassador, whether I wanted to be an ambassador or not. So are we when it comes to Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. You don't get a choice if you choose to follow Christ. You will be his ambassador. You can choose whether you're going to be a poor ambassador or a good ambassador. Whether you're going to be a quiet ambassador or a vocal ambassador. And Paul goes on in verse 20 to say, Therefore we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So let me encourage you this morning to identify with Jesus as a joyful, winsome ambassador for Christ. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, that's where we come to the second sacrifice that the author tells us we can make. And the second sacrifice is simply this, be kind to others. The author wrote in verse 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Identifying yourself with Christ is called orthopraxy. That's a big theological word that means you have the right set of beliefs. And there's a lot more to it, of course, than just simply identifying yourself with Christ. But that's at the foundation. This aspect is called orthopraxy. That's having the right practice. 
there are a lot of people who have the right doctrine, the right set of beliefs, but in reality they're jerks, to put it bluntly. They're not very kind. That's why it's hard sometimes to identify ourselves as Christians because of what, how others have lived out their Christian life. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. We have enough of those. It's time to be kind to others. There's a word here that the author uses called, in Greek, koinonia. It means generously sharing what you have with other people. Now, like the first one, we tend to think of uh, offering sacrifices of praise to God as something we do here at the church. And we've already established it's, it's a 24-7 responsibility. This one, being kind to others, we can easily think of that as something we do out there. If I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ, I want to be winsome, I want to be kind to other people who don't know Christ, so that they'll want to come to Christ. And that's good. Of course, we should do that. But what about here? Here in this church? I have the unique uh, privilege of coming on staff as pastor of evangelism and outreach, having already been a member here for three years. So I didn't have to learn a lot about the culture. I already knew about this church. I've known Pastor Don since 2005 when I met him up in the Keweenaw Gitchigumi Bible Camp. I knew the pastors here before I came because I pastored in the area as well. And then when I came and joined this church, I met many of you. Now, I'm an extrovert. So that means I'm not going to wait for you to say good morning to me. I'm going to initiate it unless you initiate it first. There are a couple people who do that, beat me to it. But for the most part, I'm the one doing the initiating. And I'm okay, I'm okay with that. It's who I am. But sometimes I get snarky. And so last uh, September, my in-laws live with us, and we live right across the street. And so sometimes I come early with them, and then my wife drives later. And so this particular morning, I came early with them, and they park over here on the east side. And I had to go all the way over to the west side to make copies for a, a class I was teaching. And this morning I decided, I'm not going to be friendly. I'm not going to be unfriendly. I'm just not going to initiate. I'm going to see how far I can go on this long corridor before someone initiates a good morning with me. Well, I couldn't make it through the door because the greeters are doing their job. And this east entrance, we have, we've got some awesome greeters over here. If you're one of the greeters over here, you are doing a bang-up job because I felt greeted. And then I came through the corridor and the ushers standing outside the door, they were all greeting me like they're supposed to be doing. It was great. It's just this wave of greeting after greeting after greeting. But the people walking in the hall who weren't on duty kept walking by me as if I wasn't even there. Some of them I knew. I couldn't believe it. I got all the way over here, almost to the bathrooms on this end, before a lady glanced at me. She was the first one to even look at me. And I couldn't hold it in any longer. I said, good morning. 
And because it had been bottled up all the way from over here, I think I blew her over. She said, good morning, back to me. I don't tell that story to shame you because I got another story. I was telling that story to a friend who goes here. He's actually in the class I teach, Kainos. I was telling him that story last week because he's a friendly guy. He said, you did that to me two weeks ago. I said, I did not. He said, yeah, you were walking down the hall and, and you had some stuff in your hands. I said, good morning, Tim. And you blew right past me like I wasn't even there. I said, I can't believe that. Well, that makes me part of the problem. So when we talk about sharing what we have, what are some things we have? Well, we have time, don't we? Do we rush in here Sunday morning with just enough time to do what we need to do and then find our seat and sit down and get ready to praise the Lord? Or can we come a little bit early, get some margin in our schedule so that we have time to go a little bit more slowly? You know, it's hard for me as a pastor. I've got important things to do. I told my kids, now, after I became a pastor, I can't walk 10 feet without someone wanting to say hi to me. And I've got places to go and people to see, and these people keep interrupting me. You do too. We're all busy. Can we slow down a little bit? Take a look around us. Once we get in here, look around where we're sitting. Is there someone we don't recognize? Oh man, I'm afraid if I say to them, how long have you been at South? They might say, I've been here 40 years. <laughs> well, don't ask them that question. Instead say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I stepped on my own lines. Instead of asking them, are you new? You know, that's what we're tempted to say. I haven't seen this person before. Are you new? And they say, I've been here 40 years. Instead of that, ask them, how long have you been at South? And then if they tell us, I've been here 40 years, and they take offense at that, that's their problem. They've been here 40 years, your question's not going to keep them from coming back. But I know a person who I've never met in this church. I know this person outside the church. They've been coming to this church for the last four years. And I asked them, how is it that you chose South Church? Because everyone I know chose South because of Pastor Don and his preaching. That's, how, that's why I'm here. This person is the first person that said something different. They were at another church. They didn't feel like they were getting fed. And so they were going to look around. They saw on South's website we had four services on Sunday. Three in the morning, one at night. So they thought, great, I can go to my church in the morning and I'll come to South at night, thinking all four are basically the same. Well, if you've been here Sunday night, you know it's quite a bit different. For one, we don't have official greeters. We got a couple guys handing out hymnals. That's our greeting team. And so this person came, they sat, they left. As they were walking to their car in the parking lot, she was making a mental check in her mind. Been there, done that, not going back. Until Bill Keys ran her down. 
he realized that she had been here and no one had talked with her. And by your laughter, you know who Bill Keyes is. Those of you who are visiting, Bill Keyes might meet you before you leave today. He's an 80-year-old Irishman, about this tall. He's our unofficial, official greeter. She said, if Bill Keyes had not come and talked to me in the parking lot, I never would have been back. Well, you know what, friends? There's only one Bill Keys, right? We need a whole bunch of Bill Keys. What if on a Sunday morning someone came here to visit and three or four people went up and talked with this person? What if someone even invited this person out for lunch? And if they already had an invitation for today, they said, well, what about next week? What if? What if we took that same hospitality, that same be kind to others mentality, and went out into our week and looked for ways that we could intentionally represent Christ and be kind to others? I think this church would be a different place. It's already a great place. I think it would be... It, be an even better place. And Lansing, imagine 1,500 people that call South Church their home, decides that they're going to represent Christ and be kind to the people in their lives. Lansing would be turned upside down. And so that's why the author says that we are to do this continually continually offering to God the sacrifice of praise. Everywhere. All the time. So my friends, let's say this together. If this is what you want to be your goal as a follower of Jesus Christ, let's say this and make it our goal, not only for today, this week, this month, but for the rest of our lives, which will be over before you know it. Shall we say it together? Jesus enables me to identify with him and be kind to others everywhere, all the time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the work of your Son on the cross what he did for us in bearing that shame, taking our sins upon him. And then, rising from the dead and giving us hope that we too will spend eternity with him in a place that is completely good, free of all evil, and will go on forever and ever. Our little sacrifices of identifying with Jesus and being kind to others seems so small and insignificant in comparison to that. And yet, in the moment, they can feel so monumental. Thank you for your Holy Spirit living inside of us, enabling us through Jesus to identify with him and be kind to others everywhere, all the time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Amen. You may go with the peace of the Lord.